Hi, this is 100 Days a Year Podcast. Our podcast because, well, you need another podcast. I'm Becky Fouché, here with my best friend ever, Jeremy Rabondo. And today we're recording episode 16, Fear of Loss, part one. Principles of Relationship Interpretation, part 16. When you always do right by someone else, you need never worry you've somehow done them wrong. Loss is a visitor. We will all experience it, some more than others, some less than others, some greater and still others certainly less, but loss visits us all. If you have already experienced significant loss, and all loss is significant, you are at the same time both intimately aware of loss and strangely unfamiliar with it. And this is not meant to be too eerily macabre, but loss feels like a presence, a shadow, a cloud, a weight. There is an oppressive enormity that not only accompanies loss, but actually feels like loss itself. Loss is heavy. The hollow vacant sadness as we experience emptiness created by the space where something once was can be absolutely overwhelming. And instead of allowing ourselves the permission to feel and grieve and experience that vacuum once sweetly filled, we immediately try to fill it up. And being who we are, we fill it up with judgment. Like, we are weak. Or, everyone experiences this. Why can't we be stronger? Why can't we just move on? And the self-loathing accusations go on and on. Contemplating future loss is almost as bad. And in some ways worse, it is a horrible combination of fear and anxiety mixed with an uncertain but definite realization of inevitability. It is like a train we hear in the distance but cannot yet see. And like we ask in all of our times together, what should we do with our pain and sadness, our fear, our doubt? How should we prepare for future pain? And should we ascribe some greater meaning to loss other than just grief? Nora McInerney, a gentle soul who miscarried her second child, lost her husband, and her father, all within a span of six weeks, said in her moving TED Talk, we do not move on from grief, we move forward with it. Loss is a visitor. This means two things. You will never forget the visit, but it is only a visit. Well, Becky, it's been two weeks since we've been together. Last week was crazy. I'm sure a lot of you get overwhelmed and busy, and that took its toll on us, too. So it's it's good to be back, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It was, it was just a hard week. Yeah, but, but we're back and fresh, and we're ready to... Well, semi-fresh. You're being, semi-fresh. You're being too, too generous. <laughs> um, but no, I, this, I think this is going to be a multi-part series on loss. And of course, it feels dark and heavy, and it is. Um, but it's something that you and I have talked about before. And of course, you and I are just people talking about things that we've experienced. And we don't necessarily purport to have like these great, wise answers that are going to just wrap you up and make you feel perfect about loss. Because we struggle with it just like you do. So... Um, I guess the thing that I think about when I immediately think about loss is kind of think about all of the loss I've already experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's important to say that loss is loss 
and the, I think it's a spectrum. I don't think it's um, a hierarchy. You know, like we say, pain is pain. Yeah. What do you? Let's explain what we mean by that, because you know, when I said, you know, all loss is significant. You know, and 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 you say all pain is pain. I, I think our instinct is to create some, like you said, some kind of hierarchy out of that. Like this pain is worse than that pain, and this loss is worse than this loss, and and I think that's arguable. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, l- you know, hearing that a dear friend's um, relative passed, you know, you feel that loss with them, and I think that that empathy is loss. And but I think if you lose your own family member, I think that's an, a more enormous uh, sense of loss. But I think what we're trying to say when we say all pain is pain or all loss is significant is that the temptation is to create a, a hierarchy and then dismiss our pain. Mm-hmm. Don't yeah. you think, yeah. it, you know, we've talked about that. Yeah, and I think you should prioritize your own pain as something that is significant and, you, you know, you shouldn't feel like you have to deflect how you feel. Yeah, I just think that the weight of loss and the weight of pain feels equally overwhelming regardless of the degree. I think it's easy, like, if you if you think about it like a swimming pool, like, no matter when you feel loss or when you feel pain, it always fills up. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, I mean, I, I just I just think it's it's easy... To, and the reason I mention this is because I guess when I think about my pain and my loss, I, I feel like I should be immediately saying, well, other people experience it worse and other people experience it greater. And then I minimize my own pain and I minimize my own grief and I don't really deal with it. And I think even for people who consider themselves pretty verbal like you and I do, that doesn't mean we're any better at confronting our pain or confronting our grief. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we almost are better at talking around it. Um, and I think when we experience pain, we experience loss. I think that swimming pool, regardless of the level of grief or pain, we it just fills up. And then, um, you know, we're tempted to, you know, then excuse it and move on. And, and I and I think, um, you know, as we interact with loss and we interact with that kind of pain, we need to. Um, you know, acknowledge it and, and feel and feel the grief and feel all the feelings that accompany it and embrace it. And of course, this is nothing new. You know, mm-hmm. people, really smart people have said this for years, but I just, I feel like it's easy, so easy to be dismissive. I think loss is heavy. I think loss is overwhelming. And no matter what kind of loss you experience, um, it can always feel, it always hits the same way. That doesn't mean the impact of a direct family member losing a direct family member, uh, you know, is is as great as say you know losing your car keys because that's not true, you know. But right. like, but all losses kind of you know represent some frustration and then pain. Mm-hmm. So why do you think it's easy to be dismissive? with grief is it because it's easier not to deal with or is it because we don't think that you know we think we should be stronger and just get over it we think 
we're spending too much time dwelling on it. I, d- I think we just don't know what to do with grief and pain because I don't think we experience it as much as we experience the whole other spectrum of emotions. Of course, maybe that's not true. I, I'm struggling to find a way to talk about it, but I think grief and pain feels like weakness, feels like error, feels like we've messed up, feels like we've made a mistake. And Oh, yeah, no, I definitely think so because it's a... It's obviously a negative emotion and it makes you feel bad. Well, and you don't know how to get out of it. And I think in general right. as, as a society and, and just, okay, let me just speak to Jeremy the person. I don't like to feel things I don't want to feel. And when I feel things I don't want to feel, I feel like something's broken. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that thing we talk about all the time. I feel broken. I feel weak. I feel messed up. What can I do to get out of it? You know, instead of embracing it. It's like just in, like a Norris Ted talk, which you all should listen to. Um, you know, this woman loses so much in such a relatively short period of time and the way she interacts with it is brilliant and it's humorous, but it's, it's boldly, um, you know, you know, she boldly states, you know, her relationship to grief and pain and that is don't dismiss it, move on with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause we, we do, we interact with each other. Like, you know, have you moved past that? You need to get over it. You know, these are statements we make all the time. Right. No, I think you're exactly right. And I think with other negative emotions, such as insecurity or, you know, hatred or anger, you can, with time and, you know, thought, you can move on from that and you can, um, like, heal from those type of emotions. But grief, you can't fix. You can't permanently remove yourself Mm -hmm. from that feeling. So I think that's what makes that among the other negative emotions more it may be impactful or severe because mm-hmm. you're right like we can't fix it you can't not only can you not fix it you can't get out of the way of it I mean you really can't right and it comes at a time when you don't no it's never convenient right, right. it's never convenient and there's no preparation and, and, and I I'm glad I get to say this because I know we have people who are listening who have lost a parent and I have not lost a parent yet you know, I've not lost a sibling yet. And I know we have people in our lives who have, you know, and I don't know what that's going to be like to go to bed with that every night and wake up with it every morning. Oh, yeah. And, and of course, people say, well, time is the way that that gets healed. But I don't know how you get past that loss. And I don't know that there's any way for me to interact with that until it happens to me. And, and... And when you see, and the only reason I said that is because you said, you know, you said that there's no real way to prepare for it. And I, I, I agree, you know, and you hear about people who have, you know, relatives, you know, and I have lost grandparents, you know, they, you know, that they're ill, you know, that it's possible that, that, that they'll pass uh, away soon due to that illness. But I don't think that gets easier just because you have a certain amount of preparation. Um, so when you, you know, and, and it's not just the loss of a relative to death, but maybe a loss of a friendship or, or um, you know, th- those kinds of relational pains that, you know, when you, when you realize that someone doesn't quite feel the same way about you as you do about them. Like, um, we were talking last week about one of, uh, one of our interactions um, with, with someone and 
you just from from an interaction you you start to relate you start to understand that the way they perceive you as someone they can trust like it 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 isn't the same as how you feel about them like you you feel that you trust them but they don't you know by the way they talk to you in a conversation they don't trust you the same way and and that's kind of painful it's like i wanted this relationship to, to be the way i wanted it to be now obviously this is a different kind of loss a different kind of pain but sometimes you know loss can be like this just this great deviation from mm-hmm. expectation you know like you know here's what i thought was going on here's what i thought you know the relationship was and it's not that thing and so that feels like loss and pain too again we try to minimize it we try to move on from it but it represents itself as loss yeah and i think loss is simultaneously natural and unnatural and so that <laughs> makes it all together more difficult to deal with and you're exactly right whether that's the death of you know something you put a lot of work and energy into or the death of someone that you love you know it's loss is a part of life so in that case it's it's natural but it's like the the most unnatural thing about life you know because it's the it's the absence of life mm-hmm. um so i think that makes it altogether really difficult to comprehend it's not anything that you know a parent raises their child to look forward to or to expect or to look for in their life right you know well i feel like you know happiness is something we can embrace and it feels lighter and no one has to teach us how to experience it you know and what to do with it you, you don't know? have to cope with being happy right, right. <laughs> exactly that's a great way to say it. but like no one teaches us directly about how to be in pain and, and how to deal with grief um, well, and sometimes people don't even receive instruction on how to empathize. Yeah. You know? Because sometimes empathy, you know, I, I think we've talked about this in regard to other emotions. You know, patience isn't something you feel, it's something you do. Mm-hmm. And really, empathy, it's great when you feel empathy, but empathy can also be something you do. Right. You know, so when you when you just said what you said about pain, you know, I, you know, I don't know. You know, because we don't teach how to deal with grief. Um, right. We don't teach how to deal with pain. We don't teach how to deal with loss. Um, but I, I let's go back, if we right. can, to what we were talking about earlier. And, and you asked the question, you know, why do we, why are we self-critical when we, I, maybe it's, you know, when we feel a feeling of loss or pain and we can't stop feeling it, we immediately feel broken. Do you think it's helplessness? You know, do you think it's that we we feel like we are so good at managing other emotions and when it comes to grief we are totally out of control and and helpless? Maybe. I think so. Or that maybe it's especially difficult for people like us who share this temperament because we're such great empathizers for other people when they're in their pain. But then when it comes to our own pain, we have no idea what to do. We we certainly don't employ any of those tools mm. we try to, you know, help, you know, others with. Not that we presume to have tools to help them with their pain, but, like, just being there and listening to them, you know. And maybe we get selfish and we say, well, no one's here for us like we're here <laughs> for others. I think there are several people who would listen to that statement and agree with it. Um, and I think maybe it's just that, it, you know, grief and pain is so isolating 
And because I think it's at those moments where you have to reach out and ask for help, and I don't think people like to ask for help. Mm -hmm. I don't like to ask for help. I like to be able to think that I can take care of it all by myself. I think asking for help compounds the problem because you feel like, well, I can't figure, I can't get over this grief by myself. Mm. And then I have to burden someone else. That's so true. I have to burden someone else. And Nora says in her TED talk that it's like a, grief is like a stench that, you know. Right. You feel like you're getting on people and you don't want to burden someone else with, you know, hey, will you come over and sit with me while I cry my eyes out? Like, no one wants to be that person. So I think it's. Yeah. And I think we like along what you said, we wish people knew what to do. Not that we know exactly what we need when we're in pain like that when we experience loss like that, Mm -hmm. but we wish other people just knew what to do and would just kind of come into our lives. And like you said, sit with us, call us, text us, tell us how much they love us, you know, and because empathy is part feeling and part, part like action. And and it's a skill to know what to do, when to do it. You have to be really, really good at knowing how to step into a situation that doesn't feel like you belong in it without over, without overstepping. You know, you really have to know the relationship that you're in with that person who's experiencing it. Yeah, because then you risk coming across like this is easy, right? Well, like, you this definitely isn't, could, for this sure. This is an easy fix. Just let me take care of you and you'll be fine. You know, like right. like you said, you really have to know and trust the relationship in order to intercede like that. Right. But at the same time, you know, like when we wish people would understand what we need and we're trying to reach out for help. And if we do ask for help, if we do, like you said, it's that double whammy of being in pain and having, and feeling like weak and out of control and having to ask for help. It's like then when that person comes in to do the job of helping and they don't quite know what to do. Mm -hmm. And then there might be a temptation to like be dismissive you know, like you need them to come over and they just bring you a pot of spaghetti and drop it off. You know, right. I, I mean, I, I mm-hmm. how can you, how can, in our humanness and our frailty, I think we get, can be critical of anything. But like, of course, at those times we realize that they're just doing what they think they need to do. And when it comes to grief and pain and trying to be supportive of other people, we don't really know all the time what to do for people. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's hard to know, am I getting in this person's way? Would they rather be alone at this moment? Because that's part of grieving, too. Sometimes you want to talk it out with someone, and sometimes you just want to be sad by yourself. And, yeah, it's like it's hard as someone who's trying to help to know. And and I, I think, too, it's kind of scary to ask, you know? Right. Hey, would you rather be alone right now, or would you rather talk about it like that's you know can be a really good approach but if you catch the the person in grief at the wrong moment that could just be really troublesome I think you're right because then it invites responses like why are you even trying or don't you know what I need or this is too complicated there are too many options right now you know there's like this overwhelming nature yeah, no, I think you're I, I think you really have to be really intuitive and really insightful. It's just really cautious yeah. when you're when you're trying to love on someone who is grieving. 
and it's it's just twice as hard because you know loss itself is so disorienting oh completely and you know we've all been in situations where we're like we feel this overwhelming impression but we're not really sure what we feel in other words i feel like our thoughts kind of are kind of disjunct and separated from the feeling like we're like running two programs right so there's this program of depression and sadness and 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 loss running while there's this other program that is our active mind trying to think of like basic tasks of what we need to do coupled with the commentary on how we're feeling and i just think it's just overwhelming Mm -hmm. and and disorienting and trying to be receptive to someone's help um you know, because I, although I've never experienced this directly, because I try to pick my words extremely carefully, and I'm not, you know, definitely not puffing myself up, but, you know, I don't want to be in a situation where I'm trying to help someone who's, you know, lost, you know, a loved one, and, and I don't want them to say to me, you have no idea how I feel. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah. You know, regardless, that could be loss of a spouse, or a relative, or a, a relationship, or whatever, and I don't want to be on the receiving end of that statement. Um, because the answer is you're right. I have no clue. Even if we've been through the very, you know, same thing from, you know, different points of, you know, our life experience, you know, I don't know. I can't know what you feel, but I know that you feel bad and I know I want to be here for you. So I think the other thing that I wanted to, I want to ask you about is what we talked about in the intro, which was like future loss. Like when you're on the edge of a relationship that you know isn't going to work, when you're sensing, and that could be a romantic relationship or a friendship relationship, or maybe, and like I said, I have, I'm lucky. I, my sister and I have a really good relationship, but we always, we haven't always had a good relationship. And I'm sure there are people listening who have really contentious relationships with siblings or with, with family members. So what happens when you anticipate that kind of relationship or really any kind of relationship you know going south like you just know something happened mm-hmm. and it's not it's going to head like it's coming like there's a conversation coming <laughs> you know we've all been in situations yeah. like that where we can feel that the conversation is coming and we don't want to have it and we don't want to admit that it's every bit as difficult as it is and we know it's coming well oftentimes the relationship has died long before it actually officially dies well that's true but what I mean you you hate to think about that in terms of like a sibling or a family member relationship you know but I but but you're right it's reached a point which whatever had whatever kind of dynamic you had with this person feels like that's gone and disappeared right or died Mm -hmm. and the conversation is coming so like I guess the question is how do you anticipate properly future loss how do you prepare for that um because sometimes like you said it is it is a romantic relationship and you feel like the relationship has died and you feel like you're treading water with this person and the conversation is coming and how do you prepare for that i think you have to um consider if it's worth salvaging because i think if you're really honest you may um you know conclude that maybe it's not but I think if it, if it is worth salvaging, then you should strategize for how you can save it. Mm-hmm. 
I do think I do think yeah, that's of an course. option. But what if you know it can't be salvaged? Like what if someone did a thing? You know, what mm. if you had a family member who said that thing? Or you had a romantic relationship and that person said or did a thing. Or you had a friendship and that person said or did a thing. And it is going to happen. Loss I, is coming. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I do. And so, yeah, I mean, salvage whenever you can at most any expense. But what if you can't? I think you have to tell yourself that this is... that. A re- a relationship that um, holds those those types of values is one that um, let me rephrase that a relationship that and of course we're speaking about the death of a relationship that the other person was the offender in mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so I think you have to tell yourself I don't want to be associated with a relationship that holds those kind of values without consequence. Mm-hmm. Or I don't want to be a part of a relationship where I am, you know, I am not valuable and the other person isn't willing to adjust, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think it really just comes down to, like, your personal set of standards. Like, are you are, are you going to be a person who is okay with being represented that way? Mm-hmm. But then the question is, how do you prepare yourself for that? What you may feel is an overwhelming impression of inevitability. The relationship is going to die and you're going to experience that loss. Well, is there any preparation? Is I guess, there... I guess that's the question. I guess. I just don't know if there, I think there are some things like you, you truly cannot be ready for. Yeah. Maybe that's the myth that you can actually prepare yourself. I think it is too. And as, as we're talking about this, I'm like reminded of my own thoughts about physical death when, you know, I, I'm always somewhat a little more, I hate to use this word, but comforted by, um, you know, the, the thought of somebody dying by being ill and, and you know, the, the family has quote unquote time to prepare for the passing of their loved one and maybe that's in in my head I'm like well maybe that's a little bit easier than an unexpected death and as I'm thinking about it now that's I I don't think that that's true I don't think there's any way to fully be ready for any kind of death I don't think I I just don't think you can prepare for that yeah you're probably right I think I think you know when I say that's that's the myth I think that's the part of us who part of each of us who doesn't want to be in a place where we need anything you know because loss I think makes us feel broken um and it makes us feel like there's something wrong with us because mm-hmm. we can't be happy but like happy is the default and grief and sadness is like this horrible mistake and it kind of points the light in on our brokenness and our frailty as human beings I think that's just how it goes and I think as we continue to go through life we'll experience loss in more powerful ways unfortunately Um, I think you're exactly right but I, I think it's foolish to assume that we as as human beings living our lives won't have a you know, a combination, or not a combination, but like an equal 
sharing of happiness and grief you know like as if like we talk about grief like it's this and you're you're right it's this heavy thing that we don't want to experience and if you're lucky you only experience it a couple of times in your life um but as if that's different or as if that's exempt from the rest of your good experiences do you know what i mean mm-hmm. Like, like it sits outside of it. Like it sits outside of it, and it's not included in the overall, you know, the overall human experience. Mm-hmm. And I think like we don't give grief enough credit. <laughs> Do you know? Yeah, <laughs> again, minimizing it, but I like yeah. the way you said it better. Yeah, like as if we're shocked when we feel bad feelings, and. Do you know what I'm? Do you know what I'm? Right. Do you know what I'm trying to yeah, say? Yeah, exactly. And I think that goes to the disorientation part. It's like, wow, I didn't think that life with is going to be like this. Even though everything you know about the about observing other people's lives would tell you, loss is coming. Loss is happening. It's going to happen to you. And then when it happens, you're like, what? No, what? Yeah. You know, it's complete overwhelming, disorienting, and feels completely unknown. And that's why I think, that's why you know we we said in the intro that loss is this visitor, mm-hmm. um, because it's. You know, sometimes it's here for an hour and it leaves, although I think that's rare. And sometimes it visits and it stays for years. So it's never fully dismissed. Right, but I think it's only a visit. And I think that's why it feels like this aberration in life. It feels like this exception to whatever life should be without it. But I think life, as we have to conceptualize it, has to embrace it. Now, that sounds so profound. How to do that? I have no idea. Mm. Except when it comes to me, I guess I just have to remember our conversation and what I've read other people. And of course, Nora's um, TED Talk is amazing. But that it's going to come. It's going to happen. I'm going to feel awful. And I've got to ask for help. And then when help is offered, I have to, I have to embrace it and not, and not feel like it's some horrible horrible stench that washes over all of my friends right because if that were your friend you would absolutely be there for them yeah and it's so much easier on some level to be on the other side of it yeah so anyway maybe that's where we should leave it part two soon yeah for sure so now is the time where we Wow, that sounded so pastoral. Now is the time. Now is the time. <laughs> now is the time where we will uh, do our expressions of gratitude and confessions of love. So let's start with our expressions of gratitude. What are we thankful for specifically today? Jeremy. Oh my gosh, thanks for that. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll go. There's nothing to, for which I'm thankful, apparently. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that while you go. How's that? Oh my my gratitude for today is 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 nothing um, earth shattering. But I would like to go on record and say that you can absolutely be grateful for the supposed minuscule things of life as well as the bigger things of life. I, they're all the same. So everything that you have is a blessing, and you should appreciate all of it. All so right. no more sermonizing. What sorry, are you I don't. For? I'm like. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're bluffing. With, I think you're bluffing. I don't think you really deep, have something you're thankful with for. Becky. No, <laughs> I, my specific thing that I'm thankful for today is I'm thankful that it's fall. Yeah, fall's great. Yep. 
that's mine. It's just such a happy time, and everybody, like, I was in Target, and I heard people talking, and they were like, I just love fall. It's my favorite time, and it's just, so many people really love fall, and I'm just, it makes me happy. Please don't say pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> You're thankful for everything pumpkin. <laughs> everything spice cake. I don't even, I don't. I don't even like pumpkin that much. I know, but here's the myth, is that, like, pumpkin spice anything actually tastes like pumpkin. It's another flavor entirely. That's, You're right. That's it's, a separate podcast. It's the same <laughs> It's the same reason that, that grape popsicles taste nothing like grape. All right, but that's beside Isn't the point. Isn't it cinnamon, nutmeg, and cloves? I know. Let's, like I said, okay. another, another, another episode. Like, right. episode 3000, because no one will care about that. Okay. All right, All right so, what are you thankful so for? So what am I thankful for? Um, I, okay, this, this sounds... Like, I'm actually giving myself a compliment indirectly, but I love getting up early. Mm. And um, I'm I'm really thankful for mornings where everybody's in their houses mm. and they're all, maybe they're sleeping still or they're up getting their coffee. And I'm out and I'm walking or I'm running. And I just, and, and anybody who does that, anybody gets up early and walks or runs like early in the morning when everyone's still in their house and they're like, the sun's just coming up. You get it. You know what I'm talking about. Mm. Or anybody who like, you know, I've even heard people who like work overnight shifts, although I feel really bad for those people because I never really sleep at all. But just being awake when other people are sleeping. Mm. It's, I don't know. There's just a feeling about that where it's, you kind of feel like you own a part of the world that you can't own when people are yeah. awake. But no, I'm, I'm thankful for that. So that's my, that's my, um, that's my expression of gratitude. All right. Love that. All right. So it's confessions of love. So... Here is what I love about you today. Oh, tell me more. <laughs> I love how we just indulge ourselves in this last few minutes of the podcast. <laughs> um, but what I love about you is you have an enormous servant's heart. Um, you always look for ways to make my life a little bit easier. And you do make it a lot easier. Um, but you, you... I can like hear the question in your head and I, I'm, I probably sound like I'm being facetious but I'm not but I can like hear the question in your head and it goes something like this what would make Becky's life a little bit easier how can I how can I make her life a little bit easier today because you've you've told me as much you've told me wow you must really think I'm great because I have not, <laughs> no questions like that at all wow <laughs> I'm just kidding I'm kidding, <laughs> I'm kidding. wow no, but what can I, I do for her? She won't yell at me. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm I'm sure that's <laughs> no, that's I'm not sure it. That's, that's it, not but, it. That's not it. No, but, but you, you're very sweet. You do make you do make my life a lot easier. Oh, you're awesome. Mm. I love you for that. Mm. Um. Okay, what do you love about me? What do I love about <laughs> you? I think I love the fact. Okay, totally, totally different than what you the sweet thing you just said to me. I love the fact that you love like brunch oh i do love brunch it goes back to our just our basic food (laughs) love which i think i've like said on like at least half the episodes (laughs) that i love that we love to cook and i love that we love food the same way and that we indulge in that but like i get excited about brunch which (laughs) i didn't really (laughs) used to get excited about brunch but we find a couple of cool places to go and so that's been lots of fun um so like just and it's not only brunch but it's like just the routineness of Mm. of things that are kind of that are involved with food and, uh, and those of you who share that it's the same thing that we do when we take 
take that idea to to the holiday time. We have Thanksgiving and Christmas, and um, any other holidays that we celebrate that that have like our food centered, which I think most of them are. Um, <laughs> and I, it's just there's some kind of nostalgia associated with that and comfort associated mm. with that, which I love. And um, so even little events like brunch are kind of like these these miniature holidays that that kind of come during the week. So I love that you love you that. love to have that expression um, with with me and that we can we can do that. Aww. That's what I love really? about you. Yeah, that makes me so happy. I yeah. share that. And uh, next time we have brunch, we'll have uh, lots of pumpkin spice lattes, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so that's wow. that's what's going on. All right. Well, uh We'll be back for part two. That's right. Stay tuned in case you want to get in touch with us. Becky will tell you how. Thanks. If you would like to reach out to us with any questions or comments or suggestions, we would love to hear from you. Or if you just want to say hi, send us an email at 100daysayearpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's 100daysayearpodcast at gmail.com. Not 100, but just 100. Also, if you'd like to follow us on Instagram, Our handle is 100 Days a Year Podcast. Go ahead and give us a follow.